Well, for those that don't remember, we are in Second Peter, although we have diverted uh, considerably from that, but only to look at the day of the Lord, which Second uh, Peter 3 is the, the theme. <clears throat> now, as it is always, when there is a great truth that God uh, has revealed and wants his people to, to know, there are those that would come along and deny that, whether it be... Um, explicitly by saying, no, he is not coming, or um, by various arguments or distractions would lessen that in our eyes. And uh, it's amazing, I've read this passage several times, and I have never really saw what was there, and... So as I was reading it, reading it just kind of dawned on me what uh, is going on in chapter 3. And you might think, you're the guy teaching, you didn't know this? But it's just, I don't know how to say it, it just became more clear to me what was going on here in chapter 3. And it really is uh, verse 4. It says, where is the promise of his coming? And that is uh, a a prophet that would say, God isn't going to come, uh, Christ isn't going to come like he said he would. And uh, I would always think, and it's because it's true in some sense, but... I would always picture Christ coming bodily to the earth, and that was his coming. Uh, And that is true, that he is going to come. But what they are denying is the coming judgment of Christ. And that is uh, what is in view here as we read down in verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. So essentially what these scoffers will come and do and say, no, there there isn't going to be a, a judgment day. There isn't going to be a coming day when Christ is going to come to uh, judge the earth. But remember that what we have learned from the day of the Lord is Although the day of the Lord is a coming day of judgment, it is also a day of salvation for his people. And we can't, uh, those two are always held uh, in tension. Um, and that's what we, uh, we can't uh, forget. <clears throat> so let's go back and finish up. Matthew 24, where was the last revealed day of the Lord that has come to pass. 
that Christ himself spoke about. Now there is much, I wouldn't say controversy, but disagreement amongst faithful Christians as to what is going on here. I think we've uh, spoken at length, but as I've read and considered and um, sought to understand, I do believe that these events have taken place already. And um, they were local in nature, i.e. it happened, the destruction of Jerusalem has already happened, the temple, the uh, vengeance for rejecting Messiah has already taken place. For For that generation that rejected Christ has already happened. So in a strict sense, the repeating of these things Um, cannot be. (laughs) But in the larger um, looking for of Christ, we are going to see um, him coming to destroy not just Israel, but all those that would reject him in every age. And that has been the case throughout uh, the history of the world since then. But uh, as far as looking for the signs that Christ revealed here, I, I don't believe that's where our eyes are supposed to be. <clears throat> but I think we left off in... Um, We dealt with the abomination of desolations. We were down um, probably around verse 22. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And that's why I say that the, these events will not be repeated because they were specific in nature, i.e. the rejection of that generation of uh, their Messiah, and it was specific to Israel. Turn over to uh, Luke. Keep your finger there in Matthew, and we'll turn over to Luke. <clears throat> it was a... A day of the Lord that was specific to that geographical area. It was uh, in Judea. It says, let them that are in Judea. When you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, then flee. Flee to the mountains. And as every day of the Lord is, or most days of the Lord... Uh, he's coming to bring vengeance or destruction on his enemies, but the uh, salvation or the saving of his people happens at the same time. And that's why he says to them, when you see this happening, then flee. Why? So that you can be saved. And, that's, uh, and in this case, it was saved uh, physically. 
But because they had um, faith in God, that they would flee so that they could be saved physically. For In verse 22, For these be the days of vengeance, that all things that are written may be fulfilled. The time of Jacob's trouble and um, that they could be fulfilled, they could be finished, and that did happen. In verse 23, this is in Luke, But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Again, I read... Uh, It's not woe to the believers, it's woe to those that are in that situation. Because certainly people in that day, in that time, they would have sought to flee from this oppressing and this destructive army that was coming to bring vengeance. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they shall be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Thus, the specific application of this um, is to the destruction of Jerusalem and wrath upon the people of Israel for their rejection of Messiah. And I think that that is the first application of Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13, and I don't believe those events will be repeated or we have to somehow explain what Christ meant when he said that um, there wouldn't be a day like this before or after, a day of such uh, suffering. So let's go back to uh, Matthew 24, and we'll we'll seek to finish up. In verse 23, the presence, or I, I could say the resurgence of false messiahs. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So in verse 23 it says, If any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. So these are believers, instruction to believers. At the time, there were many false messiahs that arose in Israel. Why? Because they were looking for the true Messiah, and he had come, and he was rejected. So they were still looking for, because, oh, that's not him, is what uh, the Israelites, by and large, believed. So he was rejected by his own people, and they were looking still for another Messiah. So Satan, knowing that, he would have brought many more false messiahs, and he did. But for believers, 
it was um, a great trial. Why? Because they would um, see these Roman armies coming in and their people being destroyed, which would have brought them great sorrow. They would have been running for their lives, and in that extreme circumstance, it would cause you to doubt. And I I always go back to that, uh, the portion, let's go back to Matthew chapter 11. It's a great illustration how we can have something firm in our minds, and then through extreme circumstances, we can doubt. Matthew 11 um, and verse 3. We'll start reading in verse 1 to get the context. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? It's an amazing statement. This is the man who received revelation from God that he was the forerunner of Messiah. He said, Upon whom you see um, the dove descend bodily, this is the one. And he baptized so that he could be revealed to Israel, that is the Messiah. And here's John in prison, and he starts to doubt. Why? No doubt, because he was in prison. Things weren't perhaps going like he expected. Um, He didn't perhaps anticipate that he would be rejected in this manner. He would be set aside in... um, being cast into prison. And he asks, sends two of his disciples and said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And if that man began to doubt, how much more us who have far less, uh, in some senses, revelation uh, than he did. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. And then he essentially gives the, the evidence of his coming, which was from Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah 61. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. When things perhaps aren't turning out the way we would like or anticipated or we have great disappointments or whatever it might be that come against us, extreme circumstances, then we are not to forget, are not to be turned aside And this is what it was uh, for his own disciples. So we see in extreme circumstance the destruction of the people of God, and they might be tempted to think, uh, 
I thought that the Messiah was going to overthrow the wicked and the Romans and all that. And this seems to be the opposite of what's happening. And then someone comes along and says, If any man say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. So just the thought, you're just a castaway. said, Christ is here, or Christ is there. Uh, Well, no, Christ has already come. And he has done this, and he has promised this. And, but these prophets would come, and they would be convincing. Verse uh, 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. It doesn't say what the great signs and wonders that they performed were. They certainly were not what we read there in Matthew 11. The dead raised up. They weren't that. They weren't, um, they weren't even opening the eyes of the blind and all of those things. But they were something that would be supernatural in nature, but would fall far short of what the true Christ had already done. And, but they were impressive, so much so that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. And then he says this uh, interesting statement, Behold, I have told you before. So because this has already been told you, that you should not stumble or fall into this um, rejection or looking for another. And we are, he told his disciples before. And so if anyone came um, in years to come and started to uh, perform signs and wonders and then said that he was a prophet or we need to look for another Messiah, he's to be rejected. That's... Even though this had direct application then, if that should happen uh, again, then we would know that this is not uh, the true Messiah or a true prophet of God. But notice in this again, wherefore if they say to you, and then he says in verse 23, then if any man shall say to you, so these are just reports, if I could say that. There aren't necessarily that you actually see this Messiah, but you just hear about him. And the specific application was, <clears throat> Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. So these False prophets would come along and they said, he's in the desert, but you have to go and look. You have to go out there. And the Lord says, no, don't, don't even bother. Don't make the trip. Why? Because when you get there, he might deceive you. And Josephus writes of many charlatans and deceivers that went abroad and that went and led people out into the wilderness with the promise to show great signs and they were eventually destroyed um, by the Romans. There was, and we covered that uh, before. 
but the notice it's he's out in the desert or he's in this secret chamber. It's um, you hear about this, and what it's um, attempting to do is unseat, as it were, the word of God from your mind. The the uh, reception of the true Messiah and what he has done and promises to do and unseat that in your mind and thinking, well, and cast doubt. Well, maybe he wasn't the Messiah. And all, that's all you need. You just need doubt. Satan just has to bring doubt for you to be led astray. He doesn't have to overthrow you all in one go. But he can bring doubt, and doubt leads to what? Unbelief, and that leads to more doubt, and then he just kind of leads you down the garden path. <clears throat> and it was, when you, when you read that of John, I'm, I'm absolutely amazed when I think about John the Baptist actually sending two of his disciples and say, and to question saying, are you the one, or should we be looking for somebody else? Um, So that's Satan's design for us, is to lead us down a path of doubt, and doubt is unbelief, and to get us to start to question. (laughs) Because then when you start to question, then you... uh, you know, did God really say? And those, that starts you on a, a course that you don't want to be on. When that happens, if any man say to you, and then in verse uh, 26, <clears throat> wherefore, if they shall say to you, then you just close your ears. <clears throat> or in the sense of closing your mind to those things. No, um, that is not the truth. I, I know what the truth is, and you don't want to entertain. You don't want to get into the ring with Satan and start to duke it out. You want to, um, you want to stay focused. <clears throat> uh, verse 27. <clears throat> He's not going to come in the desert or in secret chambers, but he's going to come, verse 27, for as the lightning, this is how the true Messiah is going to come, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so also the coming of the Son of Man be. So as I have uh, saw, this is the coming of the Son of Man, not bodily to the earth, but in judgment. And he, I believe that's apparent. Um, But in contrast to the false messiahs, the false messiahs were just going to be these guys running around the desert. But Christ is going to come, as it says, he's going to come like lightning. And that is, he's going to come suddenly when you... In a thunderstorm, lightning flashes over here, it flashes over there, and you can't anticipate where it's going to come next. Um, But it is going to be 
like that. He's going to come suddenly. And then verse 28, this, many people have, yeah, pained over what this means. <clears throat> but notice verse 27 starts with four, and then verse 28 also starts with the word four. And for the English students, what is the word for? For. <laughs> what is for? This is a, a good English lesson. Well, we'll get the technical side out of the way. For is a subordinating conjunction. That is, whatever it is gone before, it's, it's seeking to explain. So the statement, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And, hmm, how does that uh, explain verse 27? For as the lightning cometh out of the east... So the, the, the false messiahs, they're out in the desert and everything, but the true messiah, he's going to come. He's going to come like uh, lightning. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now in reading you know, various commentaries coming from two different views, well, one man would say this cannot mean the Roman armies, whose ensign was what? An eagle. The ensign, the flag of the Roman army was an eagle. Now, I did have a false um, impression that eagles are not um, scavengers, yes. Because anytime I'd read commentaries or whatever... The, they go immediately to vultures. Well, it doesn't say vultures. It says eagles. But apparently, and even I think Nathan and I got to see that, we were driving down the 55 and we noticed a bald eagle there in the field. And then there was another eagle that was brown, didn't have a white head, but there was this bald eagle, which was a mature one. And then there was another on a dead carcass. And I did read that before bald eagles become proficient in hunting, they will eat carrion, dead carcasses. Okay, I just had that false idea that uh, that just wasn't a thing, but it makes sense. And so they get a free meal. They didn't have to kill it. And I guess their immune system is such that they can eat dead stuff. But eagles are hunters. By when they get mature, they hunt live food. But uh, wheresoever the carcass is, <clears throat> there will the eagles uh, be gathered together. So when Christ came to judge the nation of Israel, he used a foreign army to do it. That is apparent. Uh, both in history and in the revelation there. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, we know that uh, the Roman army came in with their ensigns, an eagle. And the nation of Israel 
had made themselves, as it were, a carcass. And the eagles swooped down to devour them. <clears throat> That's how Christ came in judgment on the, on the nation. And so the truth of, um, or the illustration of eagles going after a dead carcass is true or was true of Israel in those days. <clears throat> the eagles were gathered together, the, the Roman armies, and they did uh, devour Israel. Verse 29. <clears throat> Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now we've covered that whole thing in detail uh, so we're not going to uh, do that but one, the the verse begins with the word immediately after the tribulation of those days. So the, the notion that this is a far fulfillment um, I think would be dispelled by immediately, that it would have to be fulfilled at that time. That is the primary uh, fulfillment of these verses. That is the destruction of Jerusalem. And with allusion to the words or the, the second coming of Christ in judgment, which has yet to happen. This was a local and uh, it was a judgment on the people of Israel. But the language would also lend itself to being uh, in the future, which, um, but we shall get to that in, in due course. <clears throat> so the, the actual sun being darkened, the moon not giving your light, and the stars falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens uh, being shaken are not the literal astral bodies falling to the earth and all of those things. And I think if you read Luke, it's apparent what's happening. Luke chapter 21. In verse 25, this is describing the the same things. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. It's a way of describing perplexity, fear, men's hearts failing them for fear, and the looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. The Earthly powers are being shaken, and that brings fear. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Um, The sea and the waves roaring. That's not going down to the seaside and seeing. It's, It's, and people that would read this, even if you're trying to really take this literally, that's not it. 
It's just not. It's a way of describing because I don't know how many, I haven't been on a ship very often. But you can imagine being in a great storm on the ocean. It would be an unsettling thing, to say the least. <clears throat> so this is a way of describing unsettling things that would happen. Perplexity, nations rising and all kinds of um, distresses coming upon man. <clears throat> and that is really what is in view here. And then back to verse 30 of Matthew. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. It, does, it doesn't say, then shall appear the Son of Man. It says, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. Remember at the beginning, what sign shall there be? And the overarching sign is God's moving to destroy Israel. Now think with me, because I had uh, also thought of these things. <clears throat> when was Israel ever destroyed without God being involved? Think of that. When God destroyed uh, the first temple, he brought in which foreign army to do it? The Babylonian. Uh, and it isn't that they just thought it was a random event. Oh, this is just bad luck. No. <laughs> the prophets said God is going to come if you don't repent and he's going to destroy you and you're going to go into exile into Babylon. This was a divine appointment of which Jeremiah labored at length to show the people. So any Jew would know that Israel being destroyed was not just a random event, but it was God moving to destroy them. And any Jew, believing or unbelieving, should recognize that fact. Because it was so. It, it, it isn't that God, the one that watches over Israel, their keeper, just oh, was on vacation and then... Oh, it, look, this calamity came, and we just don't know why. It's just not a thing. <laughs> and so it is at, uh, at this time. The sign that God was moving, or Christ was coming, was the destruction uh, of Jerusalem and the temple, and by extension, the people. And we read that uh, last time, the terrible... And if you want to read on, on your own, grab uh, Josephus' uh, Jewish Wars and read up on what happened at that time. Uh, perhaps you won't, but uh, it was a terrible judgment. <clears throat> and that's why Christ said that um, it would be a time of great suffering and it wouldn't be ever a time like that again. And the intensity of the suffering, because Hitler killed, if it's to be believed, six million Jews in the Second World War. Certainly the number of people was greater, but the intensity of the suffering uh, was much greater at the destruction of uh, Jerusalem. <clears throat> and then in verse 30, <clears throat> 
it says, when they see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Now, the tribes of the earth, uh, the word tribe is usually applied to the people of Israel. But because the far uh, allusion to the second coming of Christ and what will happen there is also there, um, that it's their mourning over judgment. The people of Israel certainly would have mourned, even the Romans, um, if Josephus is to be believed, didn't want to destroy the temple. They, as it were, mourned over it. They, they sought to, um, Titus, he, again and again, he tried to get the people to surrender, and they did not. Why? Because God's will was to overthrow the city. And that wasn't going to be overturned. Uh, despite what the Romans, they didn't want to destroy. Even Titus tried to, when the temple was burning, to get his soldiers to put it out. And, uh, but they did ultimately didn't listen to him. And God's will uh, prevailed. So when all this was happening, um, the people would have mourned. <clears throat> You remember when the temple was rebuilt, when they came back from the land, it says that the old men, when they saw, who had saw the glory of the first house, they wept even at the rebuilding of the temple, never mind at the the destruction of it. Because the the first house, Solomon's temple, was so glorious. And then they saw this little foundation going up and they started to weep. The ancient men, men that would be in their 90s, Imagine the destruction of that temple, how much they would have uh, mourned. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. It is a common uh, theme to mourn at the destruction. Jeremiah chapter 6. In verse 23. And they shall lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel. This is a foretelling of the destruction of uh, Israel under Nebuchadnezzar. And their voice roareth like the sea, and they ride upon horses, set in array as men of war against thee, O daughter of Zion. Ye have heard the fame thereof, our hands wax feeble, anguish hath taken hold of us, and pain as of a woman in travail. Notice the language, exactly the same language of uh, Matthew 24 and Luke. Uh, Woman travailing, go not forth into the field, nor walk by the way, for the sword of the enemy and fear is on every side. O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning for as an only son, most bitter lamentation for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. And it uh, goes on. <clears throat> but Jeremiah <clears throat> telling the people to weep and to mourn. <clears throat> as it was then, so it was at the time of Christ, or shortly thereafter. Uh, 
at the, the sign of the Son of Man, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, there would be great mourning. And there was. <clears throat> and they'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and uh, great glory. <clears throat> and it is because of that verse that people say this has to refer to the second coming. And by extension, it does. But the first and foremost uh, fulfillment of that was the destruction of Jerusalem. But we'll see the difference between the uh, prophecies of the second coming of Christ to destroy the world and, as it were, this coming of Christ to bring judgment on Israel. The clouds of heaven, let's uh, turn to Daniel 7. Because this is much quoted, the Lord even quoted it himself as evidence that he was the Messiah to the chief priest, who then tore his clothes. In uh, Daniel 7, in verse 13, And I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And brought him near before him. So in the picture or in the vision, Christ comes on the clouds of heaven and he comes to the Father. Comes to God and he is coronated, crowned. Um, And the Lord references this. And then because the high priest didn't need any explanation. He said, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. And the high priest tore his clothes. He's claiming to be the Messiah, which he was, but not uh, like they expected. So the reference here is definitely that of the coming Messiah. But he's coming in judgment. And it was real judgment, and it was really God doing it. Christ doing it. Um, As we saw in the Old Testament, Jerusalem cannot be destroyed without God being involved. It's just, they knew that. They would know that. Um, And I don't know what a Jew today would say. I really don't. It's not like I get a lot of dialogue with Jewish people, but I would be interested to hear what they would say about that. Uh, then, then it says, <clears throat> And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. <clears throat> Turn to Numbers chapter 10. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 10. Again, to understand the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament. <clears throat> Numbers 10 and verse 22. Again, that's probably the wrong reference. Uh, Numbers 10.
Okay, we'll start reading in verse 2. <clears throat> make thee two trumpets of silver, a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. <clears throat> um, verse 3, And then you shall blow them with all the assembly, shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. But if they blow with one trumpet, then the princes, which are the heads of the house of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. Then you shall blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. And you blow an alarm the second time, and then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey, and they shall blow an alarm on their journeys. <clears throat> so, it's basically a blowing of trumpets, but one of the reasons a trumpet was blown was for gathering in the people. Sometimes they would blow it as an alarm of war, and uh, there was different um, blasts for different uh, purposes. Because when you had a camp that was very large, you needed a, a great sound. <clears throat> So the, uh, the application here, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, is reference to that thing, the gathering in of the people of God. And I don't believe that this meant that when the apostles went out and the Christians, there was a sound of a great trumpet. It's just a reference to that whole thing in the gathering in of the people. There may be, when Christ comes back, a, a sound of, at the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Um, I'm not saying that cannot happen, because it has not happened yet. <clears throat> but in this instance of the sending of his angels, his messengers, those with the gospel, so Jerusalem has been, we could say, cast down. The people of Israel have been cast down. But then the people of God are gathered and his messengers go out with the great sound of a trumpet and gather in the elect from the four winds of the earth. That's in all quarters of the earth. Um, to the Gentiles. And that's where um, he sent his messengers. From one end of heaven to the other. That is, from one end of the earth to the other. So the gospel started in Jerusalem, and that it kept going out, the four winds uh, of the earth. And it has been going out for, since the, the time of Christ's leaving, and it is continuing to go forth, <clears throat> albeit in our country it looks like it's on the wane. <clears throat> but the gospel has been going out through his uh, messengers gathering uh, his elect from the four winds. The people of God being gathered uh, from one end of heaven until the other. Verse 32, Now learn a parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh, like it is now. We know that summer's coming. So likewise ye, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Now, what things is he referencing? 
He says, all these things, when you see uh, Jerusalem surrounded by armies, the abomination that brought desolation, when you see false Christ, when you see wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, famines and all of those things that he has mentioned, when you see these things happening, and it's a progression, then the destruction of Jerusalem, you know that... uh, The end is nigh. The kingdom of God has come. They knew that it was the overthrowing of Jerusalem was the kingdom of God coming on them, not in salvation, but in destruction. And that's what happened. And then verse 34 Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And because that's the bookend of this whole thing, um, I would find it uh, difficult to be persuaded that these things are all future events. That's uh, where I have... Yeah, stumbled at people's explanation that this is all future. And it's coming at the, we've talked about the, the great tribulation, the seven-year period, um, three and a half years of which is divine wrath on this planet and the book of Revelation unfolded and all of that. And that's, uh, but this generation was the one that rejected Messiah upon whom uh, the blood of all the prophets was charged on that generation. And that's why it was so terrible, uh, the destruction uh, of the Son of Man. And then it goes on in verse 36, But the day or the hour no man knoweth, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then it talks about being prepared for the coming of the Son of Man. And this is where uh, we're going to go back to uh, to Second uh, Peter there. <clears throat> and this is where Peter goes after he talks about his uh, being looking for and hastening unto the day of God is what is the desired effect that this is to have on us. And it's, uh, that's where we're going to go eventually. <laughs> so we'll just read down to uh, verse 4. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So again, 
I don't know how many of you have been tempted to think, um, I wonder if this whole thing's actually going to happen. Like tempted. Uh, I wonder if this is, Christ is really going to come like he said, because it's never happened before. <laughs> and, uh, but the devil will tempt us and this is exactly the temptation and Peter warns about it in the last days scoffers now these aren't the enemies of Christianity that are going to be saying this this is going to be people that would claim to be Christians they would be those that would read the Bible because he says uh, All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. These are not atheists that are going to be saying this. These are going to be people that actually believe there is a creation. And that is going to be uh, the temptation. Knowing this first, Peter says, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. This is going to happen And we shouldn't be surprised when you hear somebody saying it. I used to do a lot of door-to-door in Mississauga, knocking on doors, asking people, um, if you were to die tonight, do you know where your soul would be? I'd get various responses uh, from that. I can't believe there's this guy on my door being so bold as to ask me if I were to die tonight. Uh, and probably I could have had a more subtle line, but I just figured we're just going to go for the jugular and then see what happens after that. <clears throat> um, but I can remember this one man specifically laughing at me for believing the Bible. Like, you believe, like, and he said, you believe that there was a literal flood in which there was an ark that people got on, you know, because everyone, the world has... Um, made fun of that children's books that show the little art with the giraffe's head sticking out here and there that's really at the end of the day people use that for a mockery I know it's not intended for that but it's just like (laughs) what a funny story Uh, and I can remember people just mocking laughing at that and but that's what's here Where is the promise of his coming and his coming in judgment? He's done this already, and he's coming again. God came in judgment on that old world, and he is coming again. Notice their motive, because men have motives for doing things. He says, where walking after their own lusts. These are not people that have your best interest in mind. They're walking after their own lust is their inner motive. Uh, Their reasoning is is not very complex. He says, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And that's the, you know, there isn't this big, long argument of this and that and have you noticed this and that. No, Uh, it's just an argument from... Uh, continuity, continuity. Um, 
the earth's going along fine. We haven't seen any disruptions. There's summer, winter, spring, fall, summer, winter, spring, fall. Things happen. We go to work. We do this. We do that. And all things uh, continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Again, these are not atheists that are putting forth um, this argument. <clears throat> but they're saying that, yeah, um, all things are being the same. Uh, God's promise of judgment has either failed or it doesn't exist. And that's the ultimate uh, temptation. And people go down that line and they start to think, yeah, God's a loving God. And he just, and it just, it leads people the wrong way. <clears throat> and there's uh, three examples I picked out. Uh, Noah was a preacher of uh, righteousness in his generation. Now imagine if he was building that ark, it would be in a great illustration and people would have asked questions. <laughs> Why are you building that? Um, and then he would have told them and would have preach to them that they need to turn uh, from their way. <clears throat> but it has always been uh, the way of false prophets to deny uh, the coming judgment. Turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 14. And if you haven't heard it yet, you will. Someone denying the judgment of God. It's uh, in every age. <clears throat> Jeremiah 14 and verse 13. I am glad I didn't have Jeremiah's job. <laughs> uh, but you'll notice what the reaction was. <clears throat> so Jeremiah's been preaching, as he says, uh, judgment. That's all, every time he opens his mouth, he's preaching judgment. And this is the reaction. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them. So the same people that he's saying, God is coming to judge you, and he's going to bring famine and pestilence and sword and all of that. <clears throat> this is what the false prophets were saying. You shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Then said, Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesied lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. <clears throat> Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not, yet they say, Sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. Again, a terrible situation, but that's reality. That um, When God warns of judgment and destruction for this course of action, and you just say, no, that's not going to happen. You have fallen into a deception. And 
that is still the case today. God will say, don't do this or judgment will come. And the devil comes along and says, yeah, you can do that. Like, just think of, ye shall not surely die. And we can't uh, act against the will of God and expect uh, a different result. So turn to Zephaniah in the Minor Prophets. Zephaniah. Again, I should have been in Sunday school when I was a kid. <clears throat> Zephaniah one twelve. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish men that are settled on their lees that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. They had come to a place of denial of the judgment of God. And that is, uh, they settled on their lees. That's a term for making wine. You would make the wine, you crush the grapes, and then you would put it in bottles, and then the, the sediment would settle out, and then you'd pour off that into another vessel, And um, so these men had settled on their lees and said, God isn't really going to do anything, good or bad. (laughs) He's just an absentee landlord and he's forgotten about us. That is a place of unbelief. Um, But again, that's just three examples in the Old Testament. There'd be many, many more. Wherever... The truth of God in his coming judgment is preached. The devil will come along and sow lies and saying, you've got lots of time, don't worry about it, get on with your life, whatever kind of message comes down the pipe, whether it's in churches or whether it's in the world. We're not here for a long time, just a good time is the theme song as it as it were <clears throat> and this is <clears throat> going to be uh, what these false prophets are putting forward <clears throat> since the fathers fell asleep it's been going on like this for a long time so nothing's ever going to change it's just going to be the same we're going to go to work we're going to have children, and they're going to grow up, and we're going to become grandparents, and this is going to go on and on and on forever. But that is uh, not the case. And specifically, they are denying the judgment of God. And that's, uh, God isn't going to judge, and that is, uh, that is what they say. Verse 5, for this they are willingly ignorant, that the word of God, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and of earth, standing out of the water and in the water. 
Now, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to argue with people about the truth of God. How many have had that opportunity? And you can start out thinking that maybe this person just lacks understanding. And sometimes that's the case. But usually, as it is with... uh, So we don't want to be impatient with people. But um, usually it has to do with the will, not the understanding. And God can deal with the understanding. And people not understanding the things of God can be easily explained. But if there is a, a will that is against it, then nothing can be explained. When uh, the Pharisees, with their attitude, the Lord said, you will not come to me that you might have life. And that is essentially the essence of unbelief. And this is what we have here. It isn't that um, these men were lacking understanding, but they were willingly ignorant. That would be just another way of saying they were against the, the word of God. <clears throat> For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and standing out of the water and in water. So the creation of this world happened by what? The word of God. If you read in Genesis, you'll see the phrase over and over again, and God said, and God said, and God said, and it was so. So the, if... Everything was created since the beginning of creation. At least they believe that. They, it escapes their notice that if God said and it was created, then God is going to say and it is going to be uncreated. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be annihilated, but it is going to be destroyed. And that is a sobering thing by Christ that says all things consist they hold uh, together for of this they are willingly ignorant that by the word of God the heavens were of old in Genesis and the earth standing out of the water and in the water so in Genesis you read that the spirit of God hovered over the waters and then God creates the land comes out of the water. How it all looked, I don't know. It wasn't there, but God was there, and he describes it. But uh, in verse 6 it says, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So they willingly ignore that whole fact. Even though they could read it in the Bible for themselves, as many people would conclude today. If you go and ask the average person, do you believe that there was a man named Noah and his sons and his wives got into an ark and that the world was destroyed? Most people would probably say, no. Even though the evidence is there that uh, that has 
happened. <clears throat> so the, the same mechanism that created the world then destroyed the world. Uh, God saying and bringing this great uh, cataclysm in which the, uh, the rain poured down and the water came up from the deep and all exactly all that was physically happening, I don't know, but it was a worldwide flood. As Jonathan Edwards said, it was an ocean with no shore. And that's what judgment is going to be. There's no hiding place. There's no... I can hide myself here until this is over. There was none of that. The only place to hide was in the ark. God's designated hiding place uh, was then and... The only designating hiding place is going to be Christ Jesus. That uh, great ark of safety. Think of the Lord when he came to those people. He said, uh, as a hen gathers her chicks, I was so willing to uh, gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you would not. And that's really the issue here. The issue here is they are willingly ignorant. That's like, no, that's not going to happen. And with people like that, you just, it's very, you cannot help them. And uh, people have to believe God. And so the problem is unbelief. It isn't that there's a lack of proof. When someone says, prove it to me, it's like, people had all the proof, the most proof that ever could be given, Christ Jesus himself, and they still concluded this is an imposter and cast him out of the city and crucified him. (laughs) So if that didn't convince people, like, are you going to be able to turn someone around with your arguments? Now you pray, uh, you go to God in weeping, but trying to turn people around with arguments is, oh, sorry, it's uh, 12 o'clock, I just got the signal there. So... We'll pick up there next time. Verse 8. But beloved. But beloved.